Well, happy Lent. Do, do people say happy Lent? We say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, maybe even Happy Mardi Gras. But on Ash Wednesday, when Lent kicks in, it's all, it's all ashes and repentance, somber colors and, and giving things up. These are not the things we normally associate with happiness. Having a great blizzard at, at, on Ash Wednesday and, and during this Lenten time just seems appropriate because joy and happiness doesn't. I mean, how joyful does it make you to give up chocolate or Netflix or the traditional meat on Friday? I mean, I love a good Friday fish fry, but not every Friday in Lent. And if we're not giving things up for Lent, we're knuckling down, trying to be better Christians. We, we commit to new prayer routines and extra devotionals and maybe even reading a Christian book or two, perhaps for the first time since last Lent. We try our hardest to more closely follow God's commands. Lent is a time when, when we try to get our act together and live a life of obedience to God. And unfortunately, instead of discovering a deeper connection to God and a life of joyful obedience, often we find ourselves miserably trying to do the impossible. And so that's why I've chosen the book Impossible Commands for our Lenten study together. You can uh, read it on your own, or uh, you can gather some folks to study it with. It was written by John T. Alcock. He's a British uh, pastor. And there are still a few copies available out on, on the counter back there. And if you are worshiping with us at home, uh, just go online and, and get a copy off the internet. And uh, we have created our own study guide to go along with it. So uh, just to email the church and we can uh, email a study guide back to you. And, and if you're here, you can pick up one of these study guides uh, on the counter if you... Uh, would like to have that to go along with the book. I won't be preaching on, on every chapter, and I won't even be preaching on the chapters in order. Um, but each week we will look at, at at least one of the commands that the book lifts up as an impossible command. Commands like the one that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you doubt that that command is impossible? Then just ask your friends or your spouse how well you're doing at being perfect and following that command. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, believed that if God gave us a command in the Bible, then we need to follow it. God didn't say, be pretty good as your heavenly father is pretty good. Just like God didn't say, be tolerable to your neighbor. Pray for those who aren't too bad to you. Rejoice sometimes. Give thanks in most circumstances. No, the Bible tells us, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, love your neighbor, pray for your enemy. Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. Wesley took the Bible seriously, and so he set about to do those commands. Now, John was a disciplined man, and 
by sheer willpower, he thought that he was going to be able to be the kind of person that God wanted him to be. And it's just like us, right? This year, we're finally going to have the Lent where we get our act together and we follow God the way that God wants us to. Well, the Lent for Wesley was 1725. In that year, he started keeping a diary. And not just a record of what happened, but a record of his spiritual life too. And by the time he turned 30, he had turned this attempt at at using his diary to guide his spiritual life into a step-by-step method. And you could try it too. It's very simple. Here's what you do. You get a notebook. And on the left side of the page, you write down the hour that you get up and then every hour that you wake until you go to bed. Now here's an actual copy from, from Wesley's uh, diary. And you can see that on this day he got up at 4 and he went to bed at 9. And then across from each hour are four columns. In the first one you record what you did. You can't read this. He uses his own shorthand to fit it all in. But you say, I prayed this hour, I went to church. You know, Just write down the things that you did. And then in the next column, you rate yourself spiritually. Call it sort of a spiritual temperature taking. Where where one is that you are just stone cold dead. You are spiritually dead. You've got not the slightest thought of God during that hour. To nine, where you are on fire for God and totally focused on Jesus. And you can go anywhere in between. For every hour, you rate yourself. And then the the final two columns are for resolutions kept and resolutions broken. And and in this way, by keeping track of everything, John thought he could whip himself into shape and be perfect as God is perfect. And it worked about as well as all of those diet resolutions that we make. After a decade of this, he was miserable, depressed, depressed, and had no faith at all, or, or he had what he called the faith of a servant, dutifully and joylessly trying to carry out God's commands by his own hard work. Now, John T. Alcock, in uh, his book Impossible Commands, offers a different approach. Instead of struggling to be perfect on our own, he says the first step is to be honest with God by saying, I can't do it. Step one is realizing it's impossible on our own to keep even one of these commandments. It's like the the first step in a recovery program. It starts with admitting we are powerless. Working harder at something that is impossible doesn't make it possible. So don't try to fool yourself into thinking that that some Lent you're going to find just the right method or pick up just the right study And finally, you're going to get it right. And don't try to wiggle out of the impossible nature of the command by thinking that Jesus doesn't really want us to do what he says or that he grades on a curve so all that we have to do is be a little bit better at keeping that command than our neighbor. No, there there are no letter grades in being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's pass or fail. You either are or you aren't. And you aren't, and neither am I. 
So honesty is step one. Just admit you can't do it on your own. The next step, step two, is confession. This maybe is even a harder part. Because it's saying to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not only do I find your command impossible, I don't really want to do it even if I could. God, I know you want me to be holy like you. I know you want me to love perfectly as you love perfectly. I know you want me to strive to be like you. But that seems like a little too much work. I had a friend who coached basketball. One year he got his dream recruit. This guy had talent coming out of his ears. I mean, you could build a championship team around a guy like this. There was nothing stopping him from greatness except his own lack of effort. So Coates pulled him aside one day and told him, you have the ability to achieve anything you want on the basketball court. You can be as good as you want to be. How good do you want to be? The player replied, not as good as you want me to be. (laughs) And admit it, that's us. It's not just the impossible nature of the command that holds us back. We don't even want to do it if we could. God says to us, how good do you want to be? And we reply, not as good as you want us to be. Holiness isn't really my thing. Perfection isn't my thing. Purity isn't my thing. I don't even want to be as good as I could be. To be honest, I don't even want to try to be like Jesus. And we justify ourselves by saying, well, it's impossible anyways. Some even blame God, saying God is unfair in giving us a command that is impossible to do. It's all God's fault. But let's be honest. We sin and fall short of the glory of God all on our own. First John says, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim to be without blame, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's how the impossible becomes possible. Not because of our own doing, but because of what God does. Jesus says in in Mark 10, with people it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So after admitting that we can't and confessing that we don't even want to, our own brokenness, the only place left to turn is the one place where we can get help, and that's God. So step number three is saying to God, please help. It's praying to God to do in us what we can't do on our own. We can be holy because God declares us holy. We can be pure because God purifies us, as we heard. And God does that through the work of Jesus Christ when he paid the price on the cross for all our sins, all our less than perfect thoughts and deeds. And God also does that through the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who helps you to be holy, helps you even want to follow God, Philippians 2 says, 
for God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Remember John Wesley in his diary? He tried to be holy by his own hard work, and he found it impossible. Down and discouraged, Wesley prayed for God to help him find peace, to help him find assurance that he was saved and loved by God. He had tried so hard to be holy, to be perfect as God is perfect, and he couldn't. So he prayed, please help God. And God answered his prayer on May 24, 1738, when he went very unwillingly to a gathering of a group of Christians on Aldersgate Street in London. And there he found that someone was reading from Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And that night, instead of rating his spiritual temperature and focusing on his successes and failures, Wesley wrote this in his journal. He wrote about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he'd taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That night, his life was forever changed. And there wouldn't be a resurrection in the United Methodist Church here if the Holy Spirit hadn't done that in him that he couldn't do on his own. What before he attempted to do out of duty as a servant of God, now he did joyfully out of love as a child of God. In fact, Wesley never stopped striving for and preaching Christian perfection. Being perfect as God is perfect. But now he realized that the most perfect attribute of God is love. And having experienced the perfect love of God, Wesley would spend his life trying to love perfectly, to do everything out of love. And he never claimed to have reached perfection in this, but he joyfully, joyfully sought perfection in love. In fact, he asked of every Methodist preacher who joined him, right after the initial question of, do you have faith in Christ? He asked, are you going on to perfection? Are you earnestly striving for it? How good do you want to be? But this is no longer a burden. Because now it's a joy. Now he has the desire to grow in love as God loves him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. See, it's all a gift. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's all the work of God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us 
and his love is made complete in us. And the Greek word here that's translated complete is the same one for perfect. His love is made perfect in us. To be, per to be perfect is to be complete, lacking nothing, to be fully all that something can be. And by God's help, we don't have to despair at the command to be perfect, but with joy, we can seek to be more and more like our Lord, especially in love. It's the work of God. So the first step in doing the impossible, fulfilling the impossible command to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, is to be honest and say, I can't. I can't do it on my own. The second step is to say, I'm sorry. I, I confess I haven't done it and I haven't even really wanted to do it. And the third step is to recognize our dependence on God's power and to pray, God, please help me. Give me your holiness. Give me your purity. Give me your love. Give me the desire to be more like you. And then the last step is stepping out in joyful obedience, not reluctantly doing our duty, but as a spirit-filled child of God saying, let's go, Jesus, let's go. Do your perfect work in me and help me to love perfectly as you love. Help me to go on to perfection until that day when you complete your work in me as you call me home. Someday you really will be perfect, but it won't be because of what you've done. It'll be because of Jesus who completes the work of perfection as he welcomes you home. Well, throughout Lent, we're going to look at more of these impossible commands. But at this point, I'm going to go backwards. And we're going to back up to last Wednesday. We were not able to have uh, the Ash Wednesday service here because of the weather. So we're going to offer you an opportunity this morning to receive ashes today. Uh, the ashes are a historic way that Christians have entered into the Lenten period of examining our spiritual lives and committing to joyful obedience. The ashes represent both our mortality, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and also our repentance. In the Bible, numerous people repent in in sackcloth and ashes. And there are two ways that you can receive ashes uh, if you come forward. One is to take one of these little uh, pieces of cloth and simply press it onto your forehead or onto your hand, and you can do it yourself. Uh, or there will be people here that can make the sign of the cross on you, on your forehead or on the back of your hand, um, if you would like. You don't have to come up. Uh, it's simply something offered to you. And I apologize for those of you who are worshiping at home. You probably have bread on hand to join us with communion, but you probably don't have ashes on hand. Uh, but that's okay. Because whether you come up for ashes or not, all of us, all of us can, can use this time to tell God the four things that we talked about today. God, I can't. I'm sorry. Please help. And let's go. Let's go. Let's go on, even to perfection. So have a happy Lent, and let's pray.
Oh, Jesus. You do call us to do things that are beyond us. And it's not the right Bible study method. It's not the right prayer, the right action that we do on our own because, Lord, even if we wanted to, we, we can't. So we come to you today recognizing our own sinfulness, recognizing our own brokenness, recognizing your call upon us, and recognizing that our ability to respond, even to want to respond, comes from you. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our heart. Thank you that you are perfecting us. Pour your love into us in a more powerful way because it's not human love, but it's your love living within us and flowing out to you and to others. Lord, as we come forward during this time of ashes and as we step into this time we call Lent, remind us how great your love is for us and what you've done in Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to celebrate Easter, may we remember that it came at the cost and you did it for us.